I, there was a day that I read they shot down the the um, Ukrainian shot down. I think it was it was two jets and uh, three. I think it was two or three helicopters. It was a Ka fifty two, which is like their you know their most advanced kind of like Apache type of you know helicopter tech mm-hmm. helicopter and another an Mi. Eight or I don't know what those other you know weird looking Russian helicopters. I think it's like a transport helicopter, and so they shot like five Russian aircraft down in a matter of minutes when they turned the system on. And then the Russians realized, holy shit, they've got something that just you know took everybody out of the sky like that. Have the Russians had any success with their helicopters in the campaign? Well, when using the, attack helicopters against yeah the when when they um. When the Ukrainians first started going, you know, doing the counteroffensive, they had that very famous photo with all that, you know, a bunch of, you know, wrecked or damaged Bradleys, um, some leopard tanks, some um, several of the um, mine clearing type of equipment. There was like four or five of those that had all gotten blown up and they just because what would happen is they're, you know, trying to get through the minefield and then the attack helicopters came up and they just didn't have enough. Um, short-range air defense to because the attack helicopters were able to stay you know far enough outside their short-range air defense that they could just basically pick them off wow and uh so you and know they did yeah they you know they lost a lot well, a lot of the guys survived because they were in bradley's they were in you know western gear um so they didn't get a lot they didn't kill a lot of people just maybe destroyed the equipment well i mean there were there was a bunch that got killed when they were trying to get through the minefields, and they, the losses were, were too big, and they had to, to back off and be more methodical and do more attrition. And just slowly, when they could find Russian air defenses, take it out with, with a HIMARS or drones in, in some cases. And I've been yeah. seeing them using HIMARS on those, you know, the, the Russians have, I guess it's like vans, those little Scooby-Doo-style vans that they have for the Lance, Lancet drones, I guess they call it. They're like, you know, like, Four X's as, as wings are really weird looking, mm-hmm. but they're you know they've got an armor piercing type of shell in the front that can a take out munition. Yeah, well it flies around. I can't I can't remember what the how long it could stay in the air for, but I saw you know they had a drone that was watching and figured out where the Russians were. Uh, this crew that launches these things, and uh, they called in a HIMARS strike, and you know it, I think it was the one with the uh, tungsten pellets mm-hmm. that. <sighs> To just perforate everything, the engine block, the metal. It's that's a nasty weapon. Nobody survives that. The equipment is destroyed. It's not. not well, you are talking Russian equipment, though. Yeah, this is Rus- Russian air defenses, or, oh, or yeah. it could be. Well, in this case, it was a Scooby Doo van, and you know, you killed the guys that were launching the Landsat drones that are you know able to successfully take out even the, you know, the uh, Western gear that we've sent them. Yeah. Wow. Damn. So it's been interesting to watch the innovation. And then, like we talked about the other day, Avdivka, that the Ukrainians kind of did a strategic retreat. And then because the Russian doctrine is to basically always be attacking and trying to, you know, always be on the offense and trying to move forward. And so they kind of follow that doctrine and they're using it against them in, in that area. They're taking like, a lot of losses. Yeah, they? it's like some days they're taking like 900, 1,000 killed in action. And they're acceptable with those losses? The Russians treat their people like disposable drones. You know, that's part, you know, what's interesting is you see some of the, you know, it's not not a lot of the bougie, bougie Russians are, are going to the front lines. It's all these other 
republics and undesirable um, people that aren't really, you know, ethnically favorable to the Russians. And just seeing the cemeteries with all the people that get killed from from their areas, you know, seeing pictures of the Russian monuments in these cities from Afghanistan versus the ones from Ukraine. And, the you know, the ones from Ukraine are just like, they're giant because there's so many people. And in a lot of cases, the families don't even know what's happened to their their people. They don't know what's happened to their sons or their their fathers. Or, All they know is they didn't come back. Yeah, they didn't come back, and they're you know they're, they're the Russian government. Oftentimes, they don't know, and oftentimes it seems like corruption. They don't want to tell them. Because wow. then people and so how part of the people in the West are figuring out what the Russian losses are is there's some things that the Russian government publishes like. Um, how much they've paid out in death benefits, death benefits to people that have been killed in the war, and uh, so you know because it's a, a fixed payment for each family for each person that dies, and so you can just divide the fixed payment into the total amount, and you can figure out exactly how many people have been killed. Plus, they're looking at the social media because then you see the death notices from the family on their their social media, and so they can get a you know count losses that way. Yeah, you can audit it. In yeah. A way. And there's dudes out there on Twitter that, you know, they might have a full-time job doing something else. And, they, you know, a lot of these guys used to do this when they were in, in the military. And so that's just their wheelhouse. And to them, it's fun, you know. And it's like they'll sit there all night, you know, pissing their wife off or their girlfriend, <laughs> you know, going through Telegram and, and counting, you know, the, look, downloading all the latest videos of the day of the losses, whether it's Russian or Ukrainian and and then putting the spreadsheet, the Excel spreadsheet, out on Twitter for people to see. It's wild, isn't it's, it? Yeah. So it's like yeah. the collective consciousness is just putting all the information out there because there's people, you know, geeking out all over the world over this stuff. And but the Russians have lost a lot of people. It's like over three hundred thousand people. Oh, I mean, all shit. you have to do is watch Pergozin's videos where he talks about it's on camera, and he says we've lost three to four times what the government is saying, and so the Russian government has acknowledged their losses and if you take that number times what Prigozhin said is like it lines up with exactly what the Ukrainians have said the Russians have lost. Do you know how many the Ukrainians have lost? I hear estimates like they're saying probably 70 to 80 percent of what the Russians have lost. I've seen some of those. It might be. I don't know. They don't release those figures but that's what people um, because it's hard to figure that out. I mean it's smart operational security to keep those losses but well, That's what I've heard. But, you know, I mean, there were times during the siege of Bakhmut where the Russians were lo- losing like 10 to 1, 18 to 1 on some days. And That's what I was curious about, they were, the ratio. But that was a lot losses. of the meat assaults where they were just sending these, you know, prisoners so the Ukrainians would fire on them so they could figure out where they were to, to shoot back at them. Wow. Man. So, that was a really nasty battle in the Bakhmut city. Yeah. It's like there's nothing left of it. It's just totally destroyed. It's just hulks of, you know... It's like Stalingrad. Like yeah, exactly. Destroyed. It looks like Stalingrad. It's, there's all the infrastructure. Everything's totally destroyed. So if, even after the war, you're going to have to, you know, demine it and look for explosives and booby traps because the Russians, whenever they evacu- you know, evacuate, they leave a bunch of booby traps for the Ukrainians. And so the families can't go back into their wrecked houses because there might be a bomb in their, you know, their dollhouse, basically. So a little girl goes to play with a dollhouse and, you know, gets blown up. And it's those, that's what their future is, even after the war. They're going to have to be really careful. Look, 
with everything in that city, they're going to have to really watch out. I mean, they still in Germany, they still, you know, it seems like just about every year, every other year, they find an unexploded, you know, 500 or 1,000 pound bomb or whatever. It's some of the biggest bombs for World War II that hit and went into the ground and never exploded. And so when they're digging a foundation for something, they, you know, hit metal and they realize, oh, shit, it's a giant ass bomb. <laughs> How the hell do you get that out there? Yeah, well, carefully, huh? <laughs> well, they usually what they do is everybody backs up out of the way and, and they put, you know, a charge on it and Let's blow it in up. place. Because yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's been underground and rusting and corroding and, you know, the explosive is going to be, you know, typically unstable at that point. So if you move it around, it might blow, blow up. it up. Yeah. yeah. That's probably the best thing to do, yeah. Get it out of here. Wow. That's scary. And to think how, how Bakhmut is going to be. And they probably still haven't recovered all the bodies, equipment. Yeah. And a lot of times the Russians civilians, just... Civilians, dead civilians that have probably yeah. got left behind. I yeah. mean, it's probably still a graveyard right now, you know? I remember seeing video of Mosul, and it's just all the dead jihadis, their legs sticking out of the buildings, you know, partially or mostly rotted, just dangling in the wind, and just pieces of humans just fucking everywhere in the, in the rubble. And, I mean, it's totally destroyed, but, and, you know, they killed all the bad guys, but they, you know, basically had to destroy most of Mosul to retake it. Yeah. It's like kind of weird idea, like being king of the ashes. Like, what do you, what do you really... Your empire of, empire of dirt, right? Uh, what, you know, what like you, a Johnny Cash. Yeah, what are, you, what are you accomplishing, really? I mean, what have you, what have you gained? All you've really made is, is somebody else lose something. You didn't really ever gain anything. If, if you just view taking something from someone else as being worth the, the losses, mm-hmm. I guess it's up for them to decide if it's worth it for them, but it just seems like a waste of life to me. It really does. It's a tragedy of epic proportions. Yeah. Some heavy stuff, man. It's been a, ba- a really rough war for them. It's tough to watch that because there's so much gore on Twitter. But it's like if you want to see what happens and kind of understand it, and you know, it's like you just you're gonna get exposed to that shit. How much know? longer do you think it's gonna be going on? I don't know. Like we were talking about earlier, it, it just seems like Joe Biden is slow rolling the ammunition and the stuff that they need, whether it's the F-16s. They're, mm-hmm. They just <clears throat> they were supposed to have that new, um, that new glide bomb that was, you know, would, would go in the HIMARS tubes or the HIMARS launchers that gets, like, double the range. And we were, you know, so the contract, I don't know, Boeing or somebody, I think, makes those. They're ready. They're ready to deploy them, and uh, and they're they're good to go. We're like, like we're ready to send them to Ukraine. They were supposed to be in Ukraine by December, and the U.S. the Pentagon goes, ah, we want to test it for a, a little while longer, and so now it's January, February. It's like they fucking need them now, for sure. It's like you, you're so I look at stupid shit like that. It's the contractor came through and got it done early, and you know it's ready to be deployed on the front lines, and they need it. And they don't get it. This just means more Ukrainians dead, more Russians dead. And I look at that and he goes, it's like, it just seems like they want to kill as many Ukrainian and Russian men as possible. Just let them bleed each other out as long as they can. Give the Ukrainians enough to keep them from losing, but not enough to win decisively. And uh, it's, you know, because you see it, you read in the press and Zelensky is, I mean, he's done a great job being a, a wartime president for his country. And he's just constantly 
in essence, fundraising and, you know, asking for material and, and help. And he's getting a lot of it, but there's a lot of things that they should have. I mean, I've been reading that we've got always like a thousand, fifteen hundred old Bradleys that we could send over there that we're paying forty, fifty thousand dollars I think a piece to basically demilitarize and then scrap them and sell the metal. It's like that's fucking stupid. Yeah. And we're just destroying these things, which we should be keeping in the first place. And they could really use them because when they need to evac people out, the, one of the first things they send in is a Bradley. Mm. You know, those are saving a lot of lives over there, a lot of Ukrainian lives. And like you were talking about, the, they're being very methodical. They're just trying to slowly attrit the, you know, because they can't get the stuff that they really need to really go full out at, at the Russians to break through the lines. So they're just trying to slowly pick off every piece of air defense. I've seen some of the air defenses that the the Russians have that are painted in like winter type of yeah. camouflage showing up in Crimea and obviously that that means that they're you know they're taking air defenses from other places cuz they're they're getting destroyed they're getting slow I would impart a little advice on the Bradley something that happened to you know some of our guys over there uh, there, you know, there's some pretty deep canals all around Baghdad and everything like that, and they usually have a lot of water in the bottom of them and everything. You know, may not be three or four, maybe five foot of water in some places. You know, deep enough, right, to cause trouble. And they had a, a Bradley flipped over upside down, and one of those uh, it lost its. You know, it, I guess it it just flipped over one way or the other. I guess they, you know, got it off in the ditch somehow, and it turned upside down, and uh, wound up filling it full of water, and the whole crew drowned. <sighs> Yeah, inside that Bradley. So they don't take well to water. That's a, it would be and it's some advice I would impart on the Ukrainians. Just make sure you don't flip those things over in a canal somewhere because they don't take too well to water. You know, and they're hard, and apparently they're impossible to get out of, and they don't have good escape hatches or something. I guess is what happened to these guys. So yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of lot of crazy <laughs> crazy footage. There was a um, a Bradley had come to evacuate a soldier. I think he had probably stepped on a mine or something like that. And you could tell there were craters all over the place. And so Bradley backed up, and the door went down, and, uh, like, he um, steps to, like, jump and I guess, a crater that's already blown up because, like, well, there's got to be nothing there, right? Steps in it. As soon as his foot goes down, <laughs> explodes. Um, you know, so he he kind of lands on, on – he kind of lands on his, um, like, his shin and – the explosive goes off, and uh, so obviously he can't get to the wounded guy that's with another dude that he's trying to help. Now he's got to crawl back into the the Bradley, be- and his you know what's left of his lower leg is all mangled and being drugged behind him, and uh, you see the blood trail and, and into the vehicle, and it's brutal. And, and there's a drone watching above. I don't know if it's a Ukrainian drone or a Russian drone that, that filmed it or whatever. Then I've seen other ones where the guys back up and they're bringing wounded in I've, I've watched the ukrainians do it to the russians i've watched the russians do it to the ukrainians in, in this particular case where they're bringing a, a wounded guy in and, and you know the the back is down and then a drone flies right in you know and kills all of them and it's just such a, a brutal brutal war probably worse than world war ii in some ways well they're you know they're because the Russians have, you know, you know, effective air defenses, they got the attack helicopters they're worrying about, they can't do any big armored offensive because they get hit with artillery. And so they go in, drive around with Humvees or Bradleys and small assault groups 
And after they, you know, bombed the um, trenches where the Russians are and the tree lines, then they just go up up close and personal through the trenches trying to catch the Russians off guard and, and kill them. And sometimes the trenches are booby-trapped, so you go in thinking you're going to get to the Russians, and instead there's a tripwire or whatever, and, you know, you get blown up. It's just, like, it's so nasty. It's, like, up close and personal. Mm-hmm. I've watched a lot of footage. It's pretty damn brutal for sure. The where they got the beachhead, because the Russians are complaining they can't get any counter battery fire. It's you know the Ukrainians are you know because they, they brought up artillery now, and so they're able to hit hit the Russians, and uh, so with the electronic warfare and the air defense that they've got, it's like, you know the the Russians try to hit them and they just they just can't. They're outranged with uh, the Western artillery outranges what they have. So, because they've had to back all their artillery and stuff up, and so they're slowly moving in. And it's like they, you know, that's an area because of the river that you know the Russians didn't you know have huge minefields and there's not a, you know, a lot of defenses that you know the, the Russian defenses are really thin in that area because they'd never expected them to come through, but when they blew the dam and it, it, a lot of places it washed all their minefields away too, um, and so they have a bunch of a uh, equipment that you know, is good for getting across, like, swampy areas. Plus, wait one, while people start finding the mines on the river downstream, you know. Yeah, yeah. They have to clean all that up. So they're talking about, because um, they only, I don't know, I guess they have a limited number of, like, you know, the pontoon bridges. And so they don't want to bring those up and build them and then have the Russians blow them up because they don't have any more. And, uh, but to bring in the armor and stuff they want, I've been reading that they said they need like five of them in place to be able to bring everything forward they need, plus to be able to continue to supply a force that big so they can make their way through the Russian rear and cut them off completely, cut off all the rails, cut off all the roads, and get to the Sea of Azov. And, you know, the whole southern. Russia is like they're cut off, and then you know when they get the Sea of Azov, then they can take out the the uh, Kerch Bridge, and so the only way you know they're completely cut off, they can and, cut them off, and they only have like supposedly three or four days of ammunition. The Russians do, and it's like so you're getting no food, you're getting no medical evacuation, you're getting no more ammunition, and you're getting no more fuel. So you're within a few days, your all your vehicles are bricked. I bet the troops down there are on edge. Those guys that are left, the Russians, I bet they're, they feel like they're about to get hemmed up. I think there's like seventy to 80,000 of them in the south, isn't there? Is that how many Russians oh are gosh. deployed down there? Those guys are going to get their asses handed to them. That's going to be a fucking bloodbath. But, you know, all war is deception, so maybe the appearance of slow rolling of you know, because oftentimes when, you know, the Americans say, okay, now we're, we're now we're sending these things, they've already had it for weeks. You know, it was like the Heimers, oh, we're going to send five. And then when you look at the numbers of crews that were trained, because that was published, you're like, that's like 55 vehicles. And then six months later, you find out that they already got 50 of those systems. And you're like, ah. So, you know... Supposedly, we're sending them old, old generation F sixteen jets, and their radar does it has less of a range than the you know the Russians have in their most advanced fighters. I'm thinking, well, that's kind of fucking stupid. You know, you're gonna, you're asking for them to get shot down basically because the Russians can see them before they can see the Russians, unless you know they're being having modifications or. 
I mean, the smart... Surely they have better radar for them. The smart thing to do is to send our most advanced or give them a handful of our most advanced F-16s and see what the Rack fuck they can do. Kills. Yeah, because yeah. we got a new one that kills. just rolled out and they've mm-hmm. got all these new electronic warfare and jamming pods and stuff like that. It's like, let's see if it works. I've seen um, yeah. Russian channels, um, bloggers, complaining that the, the West is sending all of their latest weapons to basically test them on them to test killing them better and and more efficiently. And it's very upsetting and demoralizing to them, obviously.